Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Very pleasant. Good evening to all of you. It's good to be here. I missed last week. Wish I could have heard DeMar. I know what kind of preacher and teacher he is. I'm sure he did a great job. Thank you for being here. And thank you for those we cannot see that online participating in this class of Romans. We're in chapter 7 tonight. We have to remember that when Paul wrote Romans, they all, were all living in a time of transition. By that I mean that 20 odd years before Romans was written, the law was nailed to the cross. But some of the people, even in the church, did not understand the full impact of that. And God tolerated their conduct. To what extent, I don't know. But I do know that he eventually took the law out of the way entirely by destroying the temple. That was 40 years after the church had been established on Pentecost. That was the ultimate time because uh, without the temple, the priests could not operate The Sadducees were out of business, and the church, in the eyes of the people, became a magnificent organization. But at the time Paul wrote, there was a mixture of Christianity and Judaism. We're going to see that tonight very clearly. To what extent, I really don't know, but we'll try. I have a PowerPoint tonight. You're going to really enjoy it. One slide... There you go. Don't you like that? I did that all by myself. I'm excited about it. (laughs) Thank you. I could blame that on uh, Tom Collier, but he'd get me if I did because he does things right. Yeah, we're going to talk about all those scriptures. You're going to say, that doesn't look like Romans 7 to me. Well, if you see the Romans, the full... The full Romans, you'll see when we're going to touch our text. We're going to put some things between it, though, and here goes. Romans 7 has been explained in many ways by various scholars. Those of you who studied it know that it's a very difficult passage. And you come away scratching your head, and I'll do my best to help you scratch your head harder tonight. That's just how it is. Romans 7, verse 24. I'm going to start at the end, not in work backwards, but start at the end for a purpose. We're going to look at two verses and uh, then go into Romans 8 and then go back to Romans 1, Romans 7, 1. The last two verses, Romans 7, that we're going to reach tonight, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. 
Is Paul saying that the Christian has the heart of a Christian and the body of a pagan? No. His spirit has been made anew. The spirit of Christians has been made anew when they were converted. But they have the same body that they got from Adam and Eve that fell into sin. That doesn't mean that their body fell into sin with Adam because it did not. Adam did not transmit sin down to his descendants, but he opened the door for sin and they came into a world that was filled with sin because of the sin he committed. Paul has the responsibility of putting to death the sinful desires of the flesh. Every Christian does. As he walks in the Spirit, he will never be under condemnation. That's what Romans 8 verse 1 says. After Paul has made this argument here about the uh, uh, the sin of the flesh and the uh, the Spirit serving God through the Spirit, he then says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Well, he just stated that with the flesh I serve sin. I don't think Paul was talking about himself in particular. He was talking about that's the way people are. That's the way the Jews are. That's what happens. Colossians 4, though, is very wonderful. Colossians 3, verse 4. When Paul, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, because you're going to do this, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That's pretty plain. Do not let sin dwell in your mortal body. It's the idea. Now let's go back to verse 1, chapter 7. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over man so long as he lives. And now he makes an argument. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Now Paul is introducing the idea of law here. General law. The law of Moses, yes, but general law too. The fact is, we are subject to law. And he's saying, if you're subject to this law, this law is binding over you. This text that we're going to introduce here with the wedding, the marriage, is about obedience, disobedience, law and gospel. It is not about marriage. And somebody says, well, he makes some good arguments here about marriage. It is not about marriage. This is an illustration. Paul is not teaching anything on marriage. He's saying, this is what you know, and this is what I present. Then he says in verse 3, so then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, the law of marriage, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Everybody understands that. Everybody understood it. And uh, back in Genesis chapter 2, God gave that message when he says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, or Moses probably put that in there. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Matthew 19.9, whoever divorces his wife, except for the cause of fornication, marries another, commits adultery. 
So there's the law of marriage set down in Genesis 2 and repeated by the lips of Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 19. I want to point out something here that might seem to be off track, but it's very important. Uh, it says, if a woman, let me get back here and make sure I read it right. Uh, so then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. I want to emphasize will be called here. Over in uh, John one forty two, you're Simon the son of Jonah, you shall be called Cephas. Will be called, shall be called, same English, but not the same word. It's very important. When when G, when he said this to Cephas, you shall be called Cephas, he used a special Greek word. Kaleo. Well, it's a common Greek word, kaleo. But that's not what in the same, that's not the same word that is in uh, Romans 7. She shall be called an adulteress. That word is not kaleo. That's the ordinary Greek word for called. It rather is another word, krematizo. That's a long word, and I'm sorry to say it because you might think I'm using bad language, but I'm not. Krematizo means to be called by God. It is a divine calling. You shall be called Cephas. That's not a divine calling. That's what people are going to call you. But a woman who abandons her husband, marries another, shall be called an adulteress by God. That word is used ten times in the New Testament. And I never, never understood why it is not inserted here as she shall be called by God an adulteress. Because it's very plain. Another time it is not used as, as God. It's not, uh, well, eight times it, it is a divine calling. But uh, as in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, uh, Joseph being warned of God in a dream. Word God doesn't appear in that text, but it's, Krematizo does. It's a divine, divine warning is the idea. But uh, over in uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians Antioch. That word there is krematizo. God called them Christians Antioch. It's a divine calling. It's not a common calling. And uh, we get the idea sometimes that folks teach that uh, it was they were named Christians in derision, that people made fun of them. They're Christians. If that's the case, God authorized it because... God gave them that name, Isaiah 62.2. And then Krematizo, it's a divine name. It's a divine calling, a divine naming. And uh, that's just for you if you care. That's not going to be on the final exam. We'll pass on past that. Romans 7.4, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. This is a little bit clumsy. I don't want to say the Holy Spirit's clumsy. I don't mean that. But it's clumsy according to our terminology because you have become dead to the law. The law is the authority here. And as the man is the authority. But the man dies. The man dies and the woman's free. Well, here, the people become dead to the law. It is not the law that died. But the law, of course, was nailed to the cross. And the, the, how should I say this? The power that the law had over the people ceased to be. 
So in that sense, I guess it works. And uh, they had died to the law, so they should be married to another and should bear fruit to the God. To God. Uh, for in verse 5, For when you were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the work, by the law were at work, and our members to bear fruit to death. You notice there's anything strange about this verse. Paul says, while you were in the flesh. Were they in the flesh then? When you were in the flesh, the sinful passions were aroused. They were in the flesh when he wrote that. But here's what he was saying. While you were under the law, which was a fleshly covenant, while you were under the law, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. The relationship of the man to the law is far, far, far different than our relationship to Christ. And this is the point he's trying to make. These people are no longer in the flesh if they're Christians. They're in Christ. And the flesh, the law governed the flesh, Christ governs the man here. I love this. But we're going to Leviticus 20 anyway. We have Leviticus 4.20. have to talk about this a bit because it's, the, the whole chapter is kind of contingent on this. This verse in uh, Leviticus 4 is about a whole congregation that has sinned. This is where God is giving the law. God is telling the priests how to work. And he said, he shall do with the blood with the bull, as he did with the bull, as a sin offering, thus he shall make do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and they, it shall be forgiven them. I need to point this out. Because we have a habit of saying, there was no forgiveness in the law. No forgiveness under Moses. I know why we say that. When a person says that to me, I say, well, you're right in what you mean. But you don't look at the whole thing. There was forgiveness in the law of Moses. The word atonement means to cover. They were, uh, they, the priest shall make atonement for them. He covered their sins and it shall be forgiven them. Their sins shall be sent away. But I'm going to talk about it just a little more, but let's look at 1630 right now. For on that day, the day, of, the day of atonement, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Well, that sounds like that's what happened at baptism with us. Well, it is, but there's a difference. Because you see, when those people were cleansed, not by the blood, but by God, as they offered the blood, their sins taken into the wilderness, their sins still existed. God said, I'm going to take these away from you. I can't stand to be with you when you have all these sins keep piling on you. Once a year, I'm going to take every one of them away and put them in the wilderness. So I can have association with you one more year. And when he does, they got sins piled up again. He says, I'll take them away for another year. What happens to them? They are still in existence. I like to say they're still out of the wilderness. And the pile gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Their sins, they're still there. They keep on keeping on. And the people know that. Not only that, but after the Day of Atonement, the greatest day in in, in the uh, Jewish calendar, how long were they clean? Well, let me ask you this. How long are you clean when you ask God to forgive your sins? How long were you clean when you were baptized? 
How long are you clean after you pray for forgiveness of a particular sin? We do fall into sin. We do sin. We do commit sin. They committed sin. And yet, when they committed sin, they were far more discouraged than we should be because as we commit sin, we can get forgiveness. In fact, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses our sins. So we have a continual cleansing. Thank God. Those sins in the wilderness were finally bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That happened in AD 30 when he died on Calvary. But those people in that day didn't know that. They didn't know that they would be totally taken away. They just knew that they were taken away on the Day of Atonement and they rejoiced. It was the greatest day of the year. But then the next day or the next two days or so, they say, I might as well give up because I've already had a bad thought. I've already cursed my neighbor. I've already whatever. No need of my trying. It's going to be another year before those are taken away from me. How sad. How sad it is. And regrettably, there are some Christians today that believe that. I've had Christians tell me, you know, I tried it. It won't work. I tried it. I fell back on one of my old sins. And I give up. Why give up? It's not on your record. If you give up, it's on your record. But if you keep on serving God, faithful to Him, it's not on your record. He takes care of it, thankfully. Question. How different would your life be if you knew that any sin you commit remains on your account until a special day next year when it was taken away and then it's taken away only for as long as it took you to sin again. What a terrible, terrible thought. You'd have to tolerate your sinful self until he pays the debt. But look at Hebrews 9. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats, ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, there we go back under the old law. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The Christian can have a clear conscience. The Christian must have a clear conscience. The Christian walks in the light. Those people in that day could not walk in the light. They could not. Their conscience was messed up. Oh yes, their, their, their flesh was purified with the blood of animals at the, at the giving of the blood of animals by immersion sometimes, whatever the case may be, but their consciences could not be purified. Could not be. Impossible. That's what the Hebrews writer says right here. That the Spirit offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And thank God we live in that day. We live in this day and not that day. Look at uh, Jeremiah 31 verse 34. This will tell us something. Jeremiah is prophesying for the Christian age here. At that time, no one shall teach every man his neighbor, saying, 
And every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. You know, when those people in Judaism uh, were uh, growing up, they were in a covenant relationship with God from the time of birth until the time of death. They were in a covenant relationship with God, but they didn't know that until somebody taught them. So they were taught they were in that covenant relationship. They, the men had been circumcised. They went to a synagogue later on. It was taught them, but it was uh, not the kind of relationship that we have, not at all. And uh, Jeremiah says the time's coming when you won't have to teach a man in a covenant relationship with God. He's in a covenant relationship with God because... When he becomes a Christian, he gets into that covenant relationship with God and he understands that to begin with. So we don't teach one another you're in a covenant relationship with God because you know you are already if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, we don't teach that, of course, because you're not. And then he says, because or for, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin will I remember no more. What does that imply? He had forgiven their iniquity in the Old Testament, but he remembered their sins. He remembered their sins. I've gone through all of that for a good purpose, I hope. Paul is going to say some things that we're going to say, is he talking about himself? Is he really pinning these sins on himself? Or is he talking about the Christians? Or is he talking about the Jews? What, what, what does he mean by this? Well, let's try and see. Not sure we'll all all understand that, but we'll understand part of it. But now, verse 6, Romans 7, 6, we have been delivered from the law. Having died to what we were held by, we were held by, yeah, the law was over them. All these kinds of regulations, they were weighted down by it. So that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Wow, that's, that's powerful. We don't have to obey those, all those laws. I, I met a woman some years ago in Jamaica. I was doing mission work there, stopped by her. Well, they called it a bar, and yes, she did sell alcoholic beverages, but it was everything else too. Stopped by her bar to get a Coke or something, and Told her who I was, invited her to the uh, to the meeting, and uh, we had a conversation. And she told me she was Seventh Day Adventist. I said, "Well, that's interesting." And since you must keep the Sabbath day because Jesus did not nail the law to the cross, I suppose you still offer animal sacrifices. Oh, oh no, 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 no! We don't do that. As a matter of fact, she says, and I love this. I love to play with people, and I don't mean that to be ugly, but when someone is wrong, you don't have to tell them that. She said, as a matter of fact, at the, at the instant Jesus died, there was a priest who was about to offer a sacrifice, and the knife fell out of his hand. I said, really? She said, Yes. I said, hey, where did you get that idea? She said, it's in the Bible. I said, i got to know where it is. I I can develop a sermon on that in five minutes and preach an hour. I said, I want to know where that is. 
I don't know where it is right off, but I'll get it for you. Thank you. I'll be by here tomorrow afternoon. So go back to the bar for another Coke. <clears throat> Say, uh, ma'am, uh, how are you today? I'm fine. Uh, uh, oh, I, I didn't have time to look that up last night. I'll work on it tonight. Man, I said, I'm disappointed. I wanted it now. But I said, I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll come back by tomorrow. So I went by tomorrow. <clears throat> she said, sir, I just couldn't find that anywhere. I'm not a great Bible scholar. I just couldn't find it. I said, does your preacher know where it is? She said, he's the one that read it and taught it to us. Yeah, he knows where it is. I said, ask him. I'll be back at four tomorrow. And she yelled at me. I was coming up close. She said, I, sir, you're going to have to look somewhere else for that. It, 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 it's not in the Bible. Big surprise to me. I just knew it was. You know, I could have told her at first that he lied to her. I could have told her she was stupid. I could have said many things, but I wanted her to figure that out. That's the same preacher, incidentally. We had converted one of his people, and she came to me and said, well, my old preacher asked me why I didn't keep the Ten Commandments anymore, and I, I just I lost it on the Sabbath day. I forgot exactly how to say it, and, and he wanted to know. I said, good. And I turned around with a piece of paper and a pencil, and I, they are having a revival. I wrote a note. I said, take this to your preacher. And the note said, sir, I understand you want to know why we shouldn't keep the Ten Commandments and shouldn't keep the Sabbath day holy. I'll come down and explain that to your church tonight if you'll let me. Explain it to you and the whole church because the sister here does not know enough about it to explain it. I, I can explain it. I'm still waiting for him to invite me down there. Didn't work. Well, enough of that. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Now that word occurs over and over in Romans. And I don't want to wear it out, but I want you to understand meganoito, not brought into existence. Not hatched, not born, not made. That's exactly what it means. Morganato. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. Law defines sin. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. I love this. And here's the reason I like it. There were five of the Ten Commandments that dealt with my relationship with you or had we lived under that law. There was murder, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if you had a man in your neighborhood who did one of those things, which one would you want him to do? He said, I'm going to violate one of them. Which one do you want him to violate? I want him to covet. See, he can do that in his brain. Never touch anything I have. Just want what I... He can want that old 2006 Buick I have to the bottom of his heart and never touch it. He wouldn't bother me. But it would be a sin. 
I don't want him to murder. I don't want him to commit adultery. I don't want him to steal. I don't want him to tell lies. All those things are very harmful. But coveting just hurts him. And Paul has said here, I would not have known covetousness except the law had said you shall not covet. I wouldn't have known it was wrong. I wouldn't have known stealing was. Adultery, murder, lying. Those things are innately wrong with coveting, harmless. No, no. Paul said, I found out by the law that coveting is wrong. But sin, in verse 7, taking opportunity by the commandment, producing me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. He's simply saying, you know, we got along very well. The law was not there. We could do as we wished. But when the law came, he may be speaking here as, as a child. Child doesn't understand the law is, uh, he does not, he does not grasp the law. I'm talking about in Judaism. God did not hold him accountable even as he does not hold a child accountable today. He's saying, apart from the law, sin was dead. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, introduced in me all manner of evil desire. Not introduced in the sense that sin brought that evil desire, as we might think of it, but here is the law, and Paul says, okay, oh, this is coveting is a sin. Or various other things. This is a sin. Didn't know that. The law says it. I am guilty. Didn't know he was guilty when he didn't understand it. That is, uh, that is very, uh, very telling. Suppose, for example, that, see who I can pick on now. Yeah, I think I, I think I'm safe with these two men here. Suppose there's a law passed in uh, Madison County that says all bald-headed men are subject to being punished on the town square every month. I didn't know it was wrong to be bald-headed, but I know it now. But I'll tell you what, I'd put Paul Owen and Randy Steelman in front of me I got a lot of hair on my head compared to them. It's not in the same place. There's a guy back there that has a good beard, but he's as bald as he can be. Our brother just moved in here. I, I could talk about a lot of you men. You're not so bad there yourself, Gary. I like that. We know it was wrong to be bald. We know it now because there's a law passed. And all I do is get down on my knees and say, look, I'm not nearly as bald. Some people I know, get up, James, you're guilty. It's the idea. Hmm. Wow. I was alive once without the law, verse 9. I was a child. We were children. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Wow. You might say, well, that being the case, it looks like to me that, that those people would have seen that they had a great motive for being righteous. Did they? Did they really? Here's a man that his sins are removed on the Day of Atonement. They're removed. 
until he makes a misstep the next day. And then he's back in the hogwalla again. What motive does he have to live a life that is pleasing to God? Because he can't. He's got to take an animal now down to the priest and say, okay, here's what I've done. Is this animal sufficient? No, you have to get one more expensive than that. So he makes a sacrifice. He makes a sacrifice. What a shame. How difficult it is. What motive is there for trying to be perfect? Because we can't be perfect. We can't be without sin. So I give up. I like liquor. I'll just drink liquor all the time. I like women. I'll just chase women all the time. I've had people tell me that. No need of my trying to be right. I can't be right. And one woman, I think I told you this, told me with her own mouth, I'm going to hell when I die. I'm going to have the most fun I can while I'm here. And boy, she did. And she left us last year. I knew her well. Verse 10. The commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. He became accountable. He was killed by the law that came to save him. Of course, the law can't save. The law can set down regulations to keep us away from sin, but once we go into sin, no legal provisions then. Wow. But it's not the fault of the law. The law was from God. It was a spiritual thing. It was good, Paul said. But I was deceived by sin, and sin killed me. I love James 1.13. Beginning, let no man say, when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted thee any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away his own lust and enticed. Then when desire has conceived and he gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death, be not deceived, my beloved brethren. You're not handling that right if you think you are. You can't handle that without Christ. Romans seven twelve. Therefore the law is holy. The commandment is holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Meganoito. That idea can't be hatched. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Did you hear that? That sin through the commandment. Well, I, you know, I, I thought I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't do that. But, uh, hey, I see now what God's law of Moses said. I'm talking about people under that law. And I, I committed an exceeding sin. And the whole thing is... Uh, I thought I was telling a white lie. 
We had white lights over in Big Cove. I don't know if you do over here or not. I won't explain what they are. I think you understand. I was telling a white lie. Just a little thing, not important. No, it is exceedingly sinful to tell a white lie. Well, is that like murder? Well, if you're asking me, I'd rather you tell a white lie than a murder, but don't do either. Because both of them are exceedingly sinful. And a white lie will condemn your soul even as murder does. It just doesn't affect as many people most of the time. It does sometimes. Romans 6, 2. Certainly not. Meganoito. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You hear what Paul is saying back in Romans? When he's talking about, you know, I meet up with sin and the flesh and all that kind of stuff. He doesn't really mean that's the way things are. Well, he might mean that's the way things are, but he's not meaning that's the way they have to be. Not the way you should be. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, he was not living a sinful life. As a matter of fact, if you look back on Paul's life, you can't find much wrong with it. Well, find a lot wrong with it when he killed Stephen. But his conscience was clear. And he stated on one occasion in Jerusalem when he was making a speech before the Sanhedrin, I have lived in all good conscience to this day. Slap him on the mouth. God will smite you, you whited wall. Oh, Paul, don't you know that you shouldn't curse a man of God? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know he was high priest. I think Paul is being very sarcastic because he'd been in court many times. He knew where the judge sat. He knew who the high priest was. I think he's really saying the high priest wouldn't do that. If he were doing what he should do. Verse 14. I know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal. Sold under sin. I still stand by what I said. That word sold under sin. I am carnal. I am a slave to sin. Literally is how it translates. Paul was speaking for those who. Were just giving up. And living the kind of life they want to live. What I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Again, that's human nature. That's how humans are. And yet Paul, I'm not saying that he was perfect. He wasn't. But Paul had cast that out of his mind and body. The word here, I am carnal... Your Bible might say I'm in the flesh. Uh, it does not mean I'm controlled by the flesh. It simply means that I'm made of flesh. Physical part of myself. I'm not only spirit, I'm also body. I heard of one of our college presidents years ago who uh, was reprimanding a young lady for something and she said, well, brother, Jones, you know, I am human. <laughs> and he didn't like that. 
He said, we all are, but that's not an excuse. Shouldn't have done it. I'm going to punish you for doing it. Why am I tempted with my eyes, my ears, my taste, my touch, my nose? Tempted with your nose? I knew a man one time who was a diabetic of the most terrible sort. Who's ringing that bell? Wow. He's serious. But he just didn't need to come around chocolate cakes Christmas time because he he needed the whole thing and take three shots then. Of course, he died early. We're tempted that way. I had a friend in the Huntsville Park community. Most of you know where that is. Some of you don't. It's used to have a church there. It's now closed. But I've heard him talk about walking from work many years ago. And he said, I could walk straight home. But he said, for one reason, I learned as a Christian to stop and walk an extra block, walk this way, walk an extra block. And he said, I walk two blocks extra every day, morning and night, to keep from passing that liquor store I used to go to on weekends. That's what it took him to do. The idea, I am a flesh, I'm a slave of sin, are not the words of a Christian. Doesn't happen. Well, since you asked so many questions and stall me tonight, I'm going to stop right there and finish this rapidly next week and, and do chapter 8, if at all possible. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening so well. I hope you... Uh, Enjoyed the class. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for the blessings we have in Christ. Thank you for making it possible for us to rely on Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Help us to walk in the light that we might always be in your glory and benefit. We pray through Christ. Amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.